Good morning, church. Welcome to church. Welcome to our guests and newcomers. And I um, want to say hi to everyone worshiping at the well, everybody worshiping at the Faith Center, and maybe you're worshiping at home. I pray that God speaks powerfully to you where you're at, all right? Well, I want to start off ask, how's it going, church? How are you doing? No, really, how are you doing? How are you doing? And Super blessed. All right, good. Some people like Mark are super blessed, and you feel great, and you'd say, I'm awesome, and I praise God for that. Some of you are on fire for God. The reality is, even if you're on fire for God, at times you could feel burned out without even realizing it. And I would ask some of you, how are you doing? And if you were honest, you might say, I am not okay. I'm not, I'm not doing well. And I want to acknowledge you too this morning. Like I said, you could be super on fire for God and experience burnout just like that. If you were to ask me how I was doing uh, my last year of college, I would have told you amazing. And I would have meant that. All year long, I had been serving in my college fellowship, really involved in that, serving at my church. That was amazing. And so I was like on a mountaintop. I was loving it, never felt so close to God. And then summer came. And when summer came, I got a job to work down in San Diego with a construction company. So they were going to house me down there for the summer. And I was going to live with my supervisor in San Diego as we worked on this hotel that they were constructing. And so I get in my car, I drive down south, and as I drove down south, it really felt like I I went south. Like I went down into the pit, uh, into the wrestling ring with the devil that summer. Because that summer, like every day, I felt the pressure and temptation of sin all around me. I was trying to walk straight with the Lord, and yet temptation all around me. Day one, I, I move into this suite that I'm staying in with my supervisor. As soon as I walk in, I notice there's porn all over the room. Magazines here and there. Everywhere I look, there's porn. Turn on the TV, unfiltered channels, access to anything I wanted to see. And not only that, my, my supervisor was like a chronic smoker, so he has like cartons of Marlboros, like cigarettes all over the room. And it's not like I was a smoker. I wasn't a smoker, but I'll be honest that there were times when I was tempted to just sneak a few packs just because I could, and no one would ever know. And then I'd go to the job site. I'm working with these guys um, who I'm supposed to manage, and uh, they're all smoking weed like every day. And constantly, Greg, come on, join us. You want some? And it, it gets tiring after a while, just every day having to say, no, no, that's okay. I'm good. I'm good. And then every day they have these coolers they bring to the sites, and they would always have alcohol, beer, but sometimes hard liquor. And I say, Greg, join us. Why don't you join us? And no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm, I'm good. And it gets tiring having to separate yourself. And all of this while I'm already dealing with loneliness, I had just broken up with my girlfriend of three years. And thinking that going to San Diego was going to be a way to just get away for a bit, I truly got away because that also meant I got away from my church family. I got away from my immediate family. I got away from my friends, my support group, my accountability group back at home. And so this was just a lot going on. I entered into that summer feeling on fire for God. I exited that time feeling burnt out. I, exited, I entered that summer feeling like on a mountaintop with Jesus Exited that time feeling like I was deep in a dark valley. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to speak to you, every one of you, 
Whether you are here or you are there, I, I know we said we're going to introduce the book of Mark, and we will. We'll get there today. But I want to start by taking you to 1 Kings chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, turn to 1 Kings 19. And I want to show you that you might be going through it, but the Bible speaks to that. And even if you're not, the Bible speaks to how we can avoid it. So let's, let's pray first, and let's ask the Lord to speak to our souls. God, we pray that as we open up your word this morning, Lord, that you would open up our hearts. Lord, that you would open up our ears to hear what the Spirit says to your church. And God, I pray that you would speak so intimately to every heart and soul, wherever we're at, Lord. Some of us struggle to get to church. Some of us struggle to even click and turn on the service. God bless them, because they did. I pray that you would show them your compassionate and tender mercy and care for them. And for those of us who are just excited to worship this morning, thank you for that. And we just pray that um, you too would meet them and show them what it looks like to, to walk in a way where we can avoid being in a valley. And so, Lord, bless this, bless this teaching of the word. We give this time to you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So 1 Kings 19, we learn about uh, this prophet named Elijah. And we actually first learn about him in chapter 17, 1 Kings 17. And if you don't know who Elijah is, Elijah is like one of the OGs of the OT. Like one of the heroes of the faith. If you don't know about him, you got to know about him. Because who is he? Well, he's a guy that God uses to show his power over the idols, specifically over the pagan god they called Baal. And God wants to obliterate any, any belief in Baal, and so he uses Elijah. And in 17 and 18, you see Elijah do crazy things. He, he calls off rain, and he says, there's going to be no rain, and for three years, the heavens shut up. And then after three years, he calls out for rain again, and, and God sends rain in response to Elijah. And that was meaningful because Baal was known as the god of rain. Then there are other miracles he does, but one of the most legendary stories we read about Elijah is when Elijah squares up, goes head to head with 450 prophets of Baal. And he challenges them to a show off there on Mount Carmel. And the point of that was to prove whose God was real, our God, the God of Israel, the God of heaven, or your God, the God Baal. And so he challenges them to call out fire from heaven, and that should be easy for Baal because he's associated with the lightning bolt, the god of rain, and so he should send fire from heaven. And so the prophets of Baal call out fire, 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 Baal, send it. Silence. Not a single word or response from Baal. Then Elijah calls out to the God of Israel, and he calls out fire, and God sends fire from heaven to prove that he is the one true God. He's the real God. And because of that proof, Elijah puts to death the 450 prophets of Baal for their idolatry. That's Elijah. And so Elijah, you have to know, he's fire. He's fire. He, he's like on fire for God. He's calling fire out of heaven. And so he's experiencing 17 and 18, chapter 17 and 18, victory after victory, success after success. But then we're going to see in verse 19, in chapter 19, he goes from victory to victory to victory to valley. Because here's what happens in 1 Kings 19. Would you 
Follow along as I read. Verses 1 through 3. It says, Ahab, who was the king at the time, a Baal worshiper, told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So if you asked Elijah in chapter 17 and 18, how are you doing? He'd probably say, great, amazing, successful, like this with God. You ask him in chapter 19, Elijah, how are you doing? I'm not okay. I- I'm not doing well. Some people say he experienced burnout. Some say he hit a wall. Some say he fell into depression. Whatever you want to call it, I want to take a look at a few of the symptoms that he was experiencing and see if maybe some of us can identify with what he was going through. All right, so if you're taking notes or maybe you're in your app, would you write this down? I want to show you how Elijah felt worried. Elijah felt worried. You can write that down. So worry is like a normal part of our life, right? We we all experience it at at some time or another. Um, But there may be times we start to experience worry where it becomes like paralyzing. Like it's paralyzing worry. Elijah finds himself weighed down by worry because Jezebel threatens to kill him. Verse 3 says he was afraid, and so he ran for his life. He runs for his life. He runs for his life. Can I remind you who Elijah is? He's this guy who has called down fire from heaven. He's a guy who has shut up the heavens, causing it to not rain for three years. He then prays for rain. God opens up and sends it down. He single-handedly took down 450 prophets of Baal by himself. If God is for him, who can be against him? He has seen this time and time again. And yet it comes to a point where one person, Jezebel, she threatens him, not with sticks, not with stones, but just some words, and he absolutely crumbles. Like he starts falling apart, and he takes off running because he's so scared. He's worried for his life. Now, something to keep in mind, when the degree or the strength of your reaction doesn't match the situation, then the issue probably isn't the issue. If the strength or degree of a reaction doesn't match the situation, then the situation probably isn't the issue. There's probably something deeper going on inside. Like, for example, if your kid over dinner spills milk and you get so angry, you punch a hole through the wall and you take the high chair and throw it out the kitchen window, it's probably not the spilled milk. There's probably something going on that you need to explore and look at. And here... Elijah is going through something. Jezebel threatens him. It's just some words, and all of a sudden, he's taken off running. And it's very likely that the threat wasn't the issue. I'm willing to to bet he was going through some emotional or mental or spiritual burnout. And I know that's hard to, to think about because we think about the biblical heroes of the faith, and they're heroes of the faith. They don't go through stuff like us. And yet I love how... James, literally, the book of James reminds us Elijah was a man just like us. He's just a man. Nothing special apart from God. 
And so when Elijah has to carry out ministry after ministry, even though it was successful, victory after victory, that pressure can weigh on a person. That stress and pressure can weigh on any human being. According to Harvard Health, they'll tell us that ongoing stress and chronic stress or pressure does a few things to our human brains, the brains that God created. He created this thing called the amygdala, which is the fight or flight part of our brain. It's a little almond-shaped part of our brain that when there's stressors present in our life, it tells the rest of the body how to respond, if we should fight the situation or flee from it. But it's a good thing, right? Because it's, it, it's telling us what's appropriate in this moment. Sometimes you're going to sense your body, uh, your heart beating faster, your muscles tensing up. Maybe you'll start breaking out in sweat, and that's the amygdala uh, reacting to that situation. But what professionals tell us is that ongoing chronic pressure impacts the health and the function of the amygdala. It can lead to things like depression, fatigue, lower immunity, even heart attacks, loss of appetite. That's what happens when the human body experiences ongoing stress. And then also, it impacts the prefrontal cortex, which when it's experiencing ongoing stress, impacts the ability to make rational decisions. We're starting to make crazy decisions that don't match the situation because of that stress. And so understandably, we can all, as humans, like Elijah, get to a point where we start perceiving and reacting to things in ways that the situation doesn't actually call for. And so again, Elijah, his victories Give them every reason to know and to believe that God is with him, God is for him, and God can surely protect him and provide for him. He should know this. But one threat is made. No actual army, no physical sticks or stones, but just a threat and in worry he ran for his life. And I wonder how many of us in here or how many of us listening are experiencing higher levels of fear or anxiety or worry or jealousy or paranoia than the circumstance calls for. Maybe you identify with Elijah. He was worried, and that might be one of the symptoms you're battling. But we go on because that's not it. Elijah not only felt worried, Elijah felt withdrawn. So would you write that down? Elijah felt withdrawn. Like he wanted to get away from it all. He wanted to disappear. So we continue on in the next verses, 3 and 4. It says, Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So he ditches his servant. He's like, I don't even want to be with you. I'm running deep into the wilderness. And he came and sat down under a broom tree. Now, to show you how hard and how far he withdrew, how far he wanted to get away, let me show you this map where he ran from the north part called Jezreel down to the south called Beersheba. And if you look at the map, that's over 100 miles by foot he just took off. Now, how many of you have ever felt like just taken off, like just disappearing and running away? I did. I did. Let me show you my map. 
Let me show you the map from San Diego to Torrance, California. That's over 100 miles. That's 118 miles, according to Google Maps, that I took off. Because that summer, down working in construction there at San Diego, every day facing that temptation and pressure, and I'll be honest, I fell. I fell into temptation at times. And having to live, not only trying to fight off temptation and pressure, but also at times living in that shame and that guilt of sinning against God, I couldn't take it anymore. And I'll never forget that day. I've worked many jobs. I've never done this except this one time. I go to my supervisor, and I tell him, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm out. No explanation, no conversation, no two weeks notice. I said, I'm done. I get in my car. I drive home to Torrance, and I never turn back. Never collected my paycheck. Never called to say, I'm sorry, I just took off. I wanted nothing to do with San Diego. I ran. I ran. It was just too much for me to handle. Elijah not only worried, but he withdrew. It was a physical withdrawal. He literally removed himself physically, but it's very likely the result of this emotional, mental, spiritual suffering he was going through. How do I know? How, how, how do we know I'm not just reading into that? What if he was just taking a retreat and trying to recuperate and, and uh, maybe going to the next ministry site? No, he was suffering. Let me show you. Verse 4 says this. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked God that he might die, saying, it is enough, O Lord. Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And so, yeah, he went away physically, but he wanted to go away for good. Like, he, he was done with living. And I don't know if this was like this emotional, this dramatic plea in a moment of, of desperation, as I'm sure many of us have felt at times, where we're just like, I just don't want to live anymore. Or if it was a very serious, ongoing feeling or thought that plagued him beyond a moment, which I'm sure there may have been some of us who have struggled with that as well. And before I go on, I want to I pause and say, look, if there's anybody here, okay, or anybody listening who's been feeling that, and you feel like, man, I'm just done, and I don't want to live anymore, and, and you thought, have thoughts of, of taking your life, please talk to us, okay? This is what the church is for. Talk to, talk to me. Talk to one of our pastors, all right? Uh, I'll, I'll be honest that as pastors, it's getting to the point where we can't meet with everybody and talk about everything. But we'll meet with you, okay? We'll, we'll meet with you. We'll make time for you. So let us know. And if we're not the person you want to talk to, if I'm not the person you want to talk to, let, let's find you the person that, that you can talk to. We'll, we'll get you uh, that help, okay? So let's do this as a family. You don't have to be, the, be alone in this, all right? So, so maybe that's you, but maybe it's not to the point where you're just wanting to withdraw from life. Maybe it's just you just want to withdraw from the people in your life. Right, like you're an extrovert and people usually energize you and you thrive off people, but you're just not wanting to be, be around people. Maybe you're an introvert and there's one or two people who normally give you life and yet even those people are starting to irritate you or annoy you and you just want to be away from them. Maybe you want to withdraw from the, the job or the ministry or the responsibilities that once gave you so much joy. Now you have no motivation, zero motivation to do any of it at all. Elijah felt that. Elijah felt worried. He felt withdrawn. 
and he wanted to be away from it all. Maybe you identify. But not just those two things. Let me show you a third thing. Elijah felt weary. Did you write that down? He felt worried, he felt withdrawn, and he felt weary. Just exhausted. He just sleeps, and when he wakes up just to eat, what does he do? He goes right back to sleep again. Have you ever gone through that? Here's what he went through, verse 5 and 6. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Highlight that. Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate it and drank and laid down again. The Lord was providing him food to eat to replenish him. He eats it, but he just goes back to bed again. And some of us will face that day when getting out of bed becomes like the hardest thing to do. Like you just don't want to get out of bed. And even when you do barely have enough strength to eat, you just want to lay down again. Go back to sleep again. And you may feel so drained and depleted that it feels like sleep no longer is doing it for you. That's not the solution. You still feel tired and exhausted. In fact, time off or whatever you're doing isn't doing it either. That doesn't seem to refill you either. And so here we have an example of Elijah, a good man, doing good things for a good God. But even good people can grow weary. So if that's you, that's okay. Good people also grow weary. So when he least expected it, he felt worried, weary, and withdrawn. If you're not experiencing any of these things, I want to say it again. Talk to someone who has or who is, and many will say, I didn't see it coming. Like, I just didn't see this coming. And so I want to speak now to how is it that we can either treat it or avoid it. And, and, and maybe it's going to hit you at a time when, when you didn't expect it, maybe overnight, maybe after a victory or success you experienced, or maybe even right after the mountaintop experience like Elijah felt. Exactly, literally he was on the mountaintop there at Mount, Mount Carmel. And then the next thing we know, he's in this valley. So how can we treat it or avoid it? Now let's get into this. And before I do, I do want to say I acknowledge I am not a doctor and I'm not a psychologist. And sometimes a doctor and a psychologist can give you medical insight or psychological insight that I, I'm not equipped to offer you. And so if, if you need help, get all the help you can and let the church help you in that. We, we want to acknowledge that there's help and insight that there are people out there who can give to you. That's not me, but I am a pastor, and I feel very confident this morning that, that God can, through his word, give us insight from his word, spiritual insights that are more powerful than you realize. I believe the word of God has power in all things, amen, amen. in all things. So let's, at the very least, let's start here, let's go to the word of God and see what it has to say. So let's go back to the story. So what does Elijah do when he's in this place? Well, did you notice that God sends help? He sends a messenger to speak to him. What does the angel say? Did you pick up on this? It's very interesting. The angel doesn't say, Elijah, you need to take a three-month sabbatical. Or he doesn't say, Elijah, you need to pray harder. 
or you need to serve smarter, you're doing it all wrong. He doesn't say any of those things. What did the angel say? Well, in verse 5, we read all the angels, and what he said was very profound. Actually, it was just practical, right? He says, arise and eat. Get up and eat. Isn't that deep? Rise and eat. Get up and eat. Seriously, Elijah, fill your stomach. And so he does, but then he goes right back to sleep again. He's exhausted. Then he wakes up again. And then what does the angel say now? Now the angel says something really profound. Actually, just practical. Look what he says, verse 7 and 8. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched them and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Elijah, rise, eat, sleep, repeat. Rise, eat, sleep, do it again. What is that? I'll tell you what that is. That is right there. I just unlocked for you the secret to success. The, the, the pattern for productive living. Like, like seriously, a regular rhythm of rest and replenishment will give us strength that lasts. And I, I want to be serious about this. Here's a very simple truth. God has created for us all regular rhythms. He has created and designed us to operate on a simple rhythm. And those rhythms are important for us. Rest Rise, eat, repeat. Give your body what it needs. That's what God has designed. But that wasn't all. Because what that does for Elijah is that when he is physically replenished, it allowed him to go in that strength to Mount Hor, where God is going to fully reveal his power to Elijah and fill him spiritually. And it was in that that he was going to be fully restored and reinstated. And so understand this. First of all, God wants to replenish and restore us. He wants to refill us on a regular basis. And when we look at the whole council of scripture, we see that rhythms of rest and restoration were created for us both physically and spiritually. God desires for us mind, body, soul, and spirit to be refreshed. Look what it says in Exodus 20. Remember the, 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 the Ten Commandments, the greatest commandments? Here's what he says in Exodus 20, verse 8 and 11. He says to his people, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So he says to his people, listen, work six, rest one. Work six, rest one. Work six, rest one. It's a regular rhythm of rest. Why does God create for us rhythms of rest? Well, just on a very practical level, on a very practical level, it refills and replenishes us. So think about this. Rest allows us to reset. Rest allows us to reset. 
Because listen, if you come to a place of exhaustion, if you're simply tired, you know what's going to do the trick? Take a nap. Take a nap. It'll do the trick. But for some of us who that's not doing it for us anymore, it means you're drained and you're depleted. Your tank is empty. And and so when you're drained and depleted, a nap isn't going to solve the problem of an empty tank. Here's a simple analogy. If you're working so hard, you forget to eat your meals. That happens to a lot of us. You forget to eat meals. By, the, by, by later in the day, your stomach's growling. It's yelling at you. Like, I'm hungry. I'm empty. Feed me, right? And, and you're, 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 you're realizing you got an empty stomach. You know what's not going to help? Taking time off. Taking a break from your work. That's not going to fill your empty stomach. Taking a nap isn't going to fill your stomach. You're going to wake up, you're still going to have an empty stomach. So what's going to fill it? Food. Give it what it needs, and it will stop yelling at you, right? And in the same way, if you're depleted and exhausted, time off, at some point, it's not going to do it. Sleeping isn't going to do it. You need to be filled with what God has created you, your soul, to be filled with. And for a lot of us, in ways it's going to look similar, and in ways it's going to look different. Like for me recently, I went to a pastor's breakfast, and uh, they brought in a bunch of pastors from the area to encourage us. They brought in a Christian counselor to teach us about soul care and self-care. How do you take care of yourselves amidst all the stress you might be feeling, pastor? And so he says, he said five things. There's five things we could do to take care of ourselves. I forgot all of them, but there's one. There's, <laughs> there's one that really resonated with me. One, one I totally remember, and he said this. He said, Pastor, make sure you get your blues and greens in. He said, make sure you get your blues and greens in. What does that mean? He, well, he explained, get outside and be in creation. Be in God's creation. Get under the blue skies. Get in the blue waters. Go take a walk in, in the green park. Go take a hike in the hills. And to me, that resonated with my soul, right? Because as a surfer who loves the blue ocean, I need that. As a mountain biker who loves to ride the green hills, I need that. Like that has been life-giving to me. I was talking to Pastor Gary recently, and he, he was asking, like, how, how has it been, right, stepping into the senior pastor role? And, and I, I, one thing I said is I didn't expect this, but... As soon as I did, like, I noticed my mind does not shut off. Like, it it just doesn't shut off. I feel like I have a thousand thoughts constantly running through my mind. I'll wake up in the middle of the night. First thing I'm thinking about is I'm thinking about the church. And so many thoughts, it just doesn't shut off. I can't help it. But I've, I've wondered, why then am I not, like, overwhelmed and stressed? Why do I still love doing this? I believe because there have been moments throughout my week where I can disengage for a bit and just be refueled by the things that fill me. And so I want to encourage you. What is that for you? I get it. Like, we're not the same. So riding, trying to ride a wave may be more tiring and draining to you, and that's not giving you life. You'd rather be in a coffee shop reading a book or journaling with a nice hot cup of coffee. That fills you. Do that. And I, I realize that maybe for some of you, you don't even know what that is. And that's a struggle to even know. And I, I see you. But I pray that out of this, you would really seek the Lord and say, God, how did you make me? Like, what is it that just gives me life? What have you created for my soul to love and enjoy? 
And when you figure that out, as the Lord reveals that to you, a healthy rhythm of rest should at the very least include something that's going to fill your tank. What is it for you? Is it painting? Is it pickleball? Is it, is it baking or scrapbooking? Is it content creating? Is, is it music making? What is it? And work that into your times of rest, into your rhythms of rest, okay? As important as food is to the empty stomach, use your rest to fill it with things that's truly going to replenish you physically, mentally. But that's not it. Just like with Elijah, that wasn't all that he needed. That was important because of what that led him to be able to now experience. When he was physically well, he was able to go into the presence of God there at Mount Horeb, where God wanted to reveal himself. So let, let me show you what the heart of this rest is. The major reason why I believe a rhythm of rest was created for us by God. Why? So that we would be filled to the depths of our soul and our heart. That we would be filled spiritually. Specifically, we would be filled with the knowledge of God and who he is. It's a reminder of who the Lord our God is. The most fruitful and fulfilling rest is when we turn our attention to God and remember that he is God and you are not. He is in control and you are not. He holds the world in his hands and you do not. He's the one who produces results, you do not. And if we don't take the time to stop and remember that we will keep on grinding and grinding, working and working, and that pressure will be ongoing and it will deteriorate and kill our bodies. The word Sabbath that the Bible teaches is from a Hebrew word, and at the root of it, it means to cease. That means stop. Like, just stop. But so, so oftentimes we misunderstand that and we think Sabbath means stop and just veg out or seize and do nothing at all. And that's not the biblical idea. If you look at it, what does God tell him? Sabbath means really to seize, but really it means to stop work, start worshiping. Stop your work and start to worship. And it was literally a day to remember that God created the world in six days and rested on one. He tells them, when you take your Sabbath, remember God worked six and he rested one. And so for the people of Israel, it wasn't a day for them to now stay in bed after working six hard days. No, that was the day they would get out of bed, get dressed, go to the temple and worship the Lord their God. To be reminded of who he is. Because even the Israelites could get caught up in the grind. Trying to produce from the fields. And so it was a day of worship. I was once asked by a friend. She said, I'm, I take my day off every week. But I feel so lazy. I just stay in bed all day. And she asked, how do I know if, if my rest is truly restful or if I'm just being lazy? I said, that's a great question. And I said, I, I think... We know that rest is truly rest when it refuels us and replenishes us. It's productive. It's doing something. So it, when we rest, it makes us ready for the next six days. But laziness just makes us more lazy. And laziness is unproductive. We, 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 don't, we dread the next six days, right? We, we don't want to go into it. We just feel lazy and it's inactive, 
Whereas real rest is proactive. How? Because we're doing things to fill ourselves with what our body really needs. Namely, it's taking time to remember who God is. He is God. He's in control. And it's spending time with him in his presence. That's very active, fruitful rest. And that's important. Listen, one of the biggest reasons, and I get, I get our culture. Like we live in a, in, a, in a culture where it is so hard to stop and we resist rest. Some of us are hating this message right now. We resist it because we fear what's going to happen if I do stop. Right? If I stop, jobs will fall behind, work will pile up, opportunities will be lost, relationships will fall apart, profits will plunge, and so many things will go wrong if I'm not there. And you know what that is? That's idolatry. That's taking control of your world and saying, I'm God and I'm in control, and without me it falls apart. And isn't it interesting that First Kings, this is all about God wanting to obliterate the idols, to, to kill all idols. And when we put money and success before the worship of God and our work and responsibilities before the worship of God, that's exactly what God is trying to kill. But when we have a rhythm of rest, we can be strengthened physically by being refilled, yeah, but more importantly, we can be strengthened spiritually by being reminded to remember that, God, you are God and I'm not. And you're going to notice that when we rest and when we stop, guess what? The world doesn't stop for you. The world keeps on turning. Things keep happening. But that's okay because in that rest you realize that, you know what else doesn't stop? God being God. And God holding the world in his hands. And, and if you stop to rest, the world's not going to fall apart. He's still got it in his hands and we're going to be all right. And the more we learn that, the more we learn that, the less stress we need to put on ourselves and the more trust we grow in the Lord. We're going to be blessed in that rest. He will bless you for taking that time off. I believe Elijah grew weary and he was worried and he withdrew. Why? He must have temporary amnesia. He must have forgotten who God is. He just forgot that though Jezebel threatened his life, he must have forgotten that God has protected him against the prophets of Baal. He must have forgotten that God provided the rain from the heavens. He must have forgotten that God preserved life when he brought that boy back from the dead. He must have forgot all these things in that moment. But thank God that by the grace of God, he was able to rest, rise, eat, Repeat that again, rest, rise, eat, and then go to the mount of God where he would encounter that silence of God, that, that, that quietness of God that was crushing his soul and reminding him, I am God, and I am greater than all powers in this world. One of the most spiritual things you can do, church, is to rest. I'm going to say that again. You have permission to rest. One of the most spiritual things you can do is to rest. You will be blessed in that. You have permission. Because when we do, it reminds us of the most important thing. God is God. He's in control. And the world's not going to crumble when you choose to stop. Okay? So friends, I want to ask you again. How are you doing? Like, how are you doing? Maybe a better question to ask is, how's your rest? 
going because that's going to indicate a lot about how we're doing. How's your rest going? And so what does it look like for you to have a regular rhythm of rest? And, and be encouraged. Let's do this together, okay? If you don't have that rhythm, let, let's work on it together this year. And that's why we, we, we created this for you. So if, if you want to pick this up right now, get that in front of you. This is what we're calling 90 Days with Jesus. And as Corey mentioned earlier, it's, it's going to be a, a, a journey through the gospel of Mark. And so we're going to walk with Jesus. This is going to lead us right into Easter, which is perfect timing because Mark's going to explain to us not just the life and ministry of Christ, but when we get to Easter, he's going to show us the death and resurrection of Christ. And we're going to celebrate together uh, right on time. And so what we designed for you is we broke down the book of Mark into really bite-sized passages. Some days it's only four verses. Right, And so that's something we can all do, read a little bit. And we teach you in here, if you don't know how to journal, um, the SOAP method. I won't go through it all right now, but in essence, you read the scripture, you write down your observations of the passage, write down some applications that you can take away, and then prayer. You spend time praying in the presence of God. And each day, we marked out for you on the day. So we start Monday of this week, okay? I really pray all of us do this. Let's all do it together. Monday, it'll tell you the passage to read. It'll give you space to write down your thoughts, your observations, applications. And then the most important part, spend time in prayer. Sit in the presence of God. Just let him speak to you about the passage, but also about just everything else going on in your work, in your family, in your life. Just spend time talking to him, all right? Um, The way we also designed it is that six days you'll spend in Mark on your own in the journal. And then we've left an... A seventh day empty. So on the seventh day, we encourage you to come to church. We'll worship together and we'll be in the house of the Lord and we'll hear a message preached from the book of Mark. So six days on your own at home, seventh day come and we'll do it together as we preach from Mark. And so let's take this journey together. I pray that uh, you would truly, truly consider participating. Look, look, if uh, you have one on your seat, that's for you. Um, we're going to ask that you just take your own copy. And maybe you have a friend or family that, that you would love to get this uh, into their hands. Um, if that's the case, stop by our next step station, and we have some more. So just let us know who you need it for, and we'll, we'll give you one to, to get to them. Okay? But for now, just take the one on your seat and then head over to next steps. Um, but let, let me close with this. Let me close with this. When you get into the first chapter of Mark this week, you're going to notice that Mark's account of Jesus' life gets like, he hits the ground running. He, does, he skips the whole birth of Jesus, the nativity scene, and he just gets right into the ministry of Christ. And you realize Christ hits the floor running once his ministry starts. And there in chapter 1, it's action-packed. You're going to see him going through the desert, fighting off Satan, who's trying to tempt him as he's in the desert. And then he's going to go, and then he's going to start preaching the kingdom in all different places. And then he's going he's gonna to go and start building his team of disciples, trying to recruit men to form his, his team. And then he's going to go to the synagogues, and he's casting out demons and healing lepers and sick. And then he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he heals Peter, Peter's mother-in-law. And then when word gets out, people start bringing him more sick people and more demon-possessed people. That's day one. That's like the first part of Mark chapter 1. And then it says the next day, then he gets up and crowds are following him. They're trying to find him. So he takes off to Galilee, starts preaching in various places in Galilee. And then more people are bringing lepers to him there. And he's constantly going through ministry to ministry to ministry. 
one thing after the other, day after day, and you're going to start to wonder, how in the world does Jesus not burn out? How does he do this if the Bible says he was human and he suffered just like we do? How, how did he keep on going? Well, I love that there in Mark chapter 1, right in the middle, between the days, between the ministries and the places, Mark chapter 135 is one of the most beautiful verses in the book of Mark. And in verse 35, it says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus himself created space to go and get alone with the Father and be filled with his power and his presence. Jesus did it. So I pray, church, that we would follow Jesus. He received power to live the life that he came to live. I pray that we would follow Jesus. I'm excited for this journey. And as we journey with him, I pray that we would grow more like Jesus, and like Jesus, we would find our rhythms of rest. Amen? Amen. Hey, would you bow your heads with me? I want to lead you into a time of reflection and response, and let's just take a moment and sit and just rest in his presence. Maybe you want to spend this time to ask the Lord to give you that power and strength to actually rest. And to fill that time with things that are truly going to fill you. And maybe you're one of, the, one of those who you're not sure what fills you. Besides spending time in the presence of God, like what, what rejuvenates me? What gives me joy? And ask the Lord to reveal that to you. Maybe give you some direction or insight. God, we are your disciples. So give us the discipline that we need to follow you well. Give us the ability to just let go and stop every once in a while. To be filled with the things that will truly fill us. That's both the physical things, but the Lord, also the spiritual. We need you, God. Oh, Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you. And so, Lord, let us be very intentional about being filled with the knowledge of who you are and the remembrance and experience of your power, that you are God. We're not. You're in control. We're not. You're sovereign, and we are not. And I pray that that would truly give rest to all our efforts, to all our work, all our chasing, let us rest in the knowledge of who you are. God, we need you. 
every hour we need you. And that's what we cry out in Jesus' name. Amen.